Happy Halloween. I love this time of year so much. I am recording this introduction from a hotel room in Portland, Maine. It's about 49 degrees. I had a nice fall coat on today. I kicked leaves. It's just charming and autumnal. And it makes me so happy. Because I live in Los Angeles and right now it's 90 degrees and it just makes me mad. However, right now I'm on the East Coast and I'm enjoying the fall. And I wanted to send you guys, this is my little treat. My little Halloween treat to you. It's a little spooky story to set the mood for you. It's a story that I read back uh, for episode 11. It's a short story by Tim Work. It's called An Intrusion. And I love this story so much. It's so strange and so spooky and has a lovely creepiness to it. And I thought, wow, I'll just send this one out into the world as a little as my little treat to my listeners so it's tim workus's an intrusion and make sure to get the book for the next book club which is also a perfect halloween read the haunting of hill house shirley jackson get into the mood of the season read this book by candlelight and uh, and i think you really enjoy it it's a classic piece of horror so here it is. This is myself reading Tim Workus's An Intrusion. <laughs> this is what Mike Mitchell told me when I ran into him about a month ago. He said they found the first envelope after a weekend away visiting Julie's dying grandfather. It was pinned up on the wall above their TV, so when they sat down to watch the news that evening after unpacking and grabbing a bite to eat, they couldn't miss it. They had been living there about four months by that point, their first real house, bought with money from their first real jobs out of college, Mike working as a project manager for a company that developed accounting software, and Julie writing copy for a small advertising firm. Unfortunately, the advertising firm had folded unexpectedly a month after Julie had started there, and she was without a job. She and Mike were doing okay, though, making their house payments with enough money left over for groceries and other essentials. Things were just a little tight. Anyway, they got home from visiting Julie's grandfather, who had always been more like a father to her and was currently very, very ill, to find an envelope pinned above their TV. Mike noticed it first and asked Julie why she had pinned an envelope to their wall. Julie said she hadn't. Mike asked who else would have done it. They were the only ones with keys to the house. They didn't even have a spare key hidden outside yet. It was just one of those things they kept meaning to do. Julie pulled the envelope down from the wall. Inside, she found a dozen or so photographs. Mike looked over her shoulder as she flipped through them. The pictures showed a young couple engaged in a series of mundane domestic pursuits, standing together at a sink washing dishes, reading on a couch, playing cards at a dining room table, changing a light bulb in a floor lamp. 
The problem was that the couple, who were not Mike and Julie, were doing all these things inside Mike and Julie's house. Mike grabbed the pictures from Julie and flipped through them again. None of the photographs revealed the face of either the man or the woman. In each picture, their backs were to the camera, or their heads were turned, or some object obscured their faces. Mike called the police. They showed up quickly and were not very helpful. The police asked if anything was missing from the house. Nothing was missing as far as Mike and Julie could tell. The police then asked if the pictures could have been taken before they moved in. Julie pointed out that the couch the couple was shown sitting on was Mike and Julie's couch, that the framed prints on the wall were Mike and Julie's framed prints, that the dishes in the couple's hands were Mike and Julie's dishes. The police asked who else had keys to the house. Mike said that nobody did. The police asked if the couple in the pictures resembled any friends or acquaintances of theirs, or if they knew anybody who was especially fond of pranks. Mike said no. The police said that they were sorry, but there wasn't much they could do. They told Mike and Julie to change the locks in their house and let them know if this happened again. So Mike and Julie changed the locks in their doors and tried not to think about the strangers who had been inside their house. At work, Mike's team got a big new project from a prominent local gym that was unhappy with its current accounting software. At home, Julie searched for a new job, calling old acquaintances for leads, redesigning her resume for the hundredth time, writing cover letters, scanning the classified section of the newspaper, and waiting for prospective employers to get back to her. I stopped Mike at this point and asked him, how could they just go about their lives like that? Didn't their house feel... Too weird to them? How could they sleep there? Mike shrugged. He said the pictures were upsetting, but what else could they do? He and Julie were a little jumpy for a week or two, but then they pretty much stopped thinking about it. It's surprising what you can get used to. He went on with his story. A few months later, they found some more pictures. Just three of them this time, in an envelope again, sitting on their dining room table. Julie had an interview that morning for a receptionist position at a dentist's office, not ideal, but better than nothing, and found the envelope when she sat down to eat breakfast. The pictures showed the same faceless couple as before, the man tall and thin with pale, freckled skin, the woman shorter, nearly as thin as the man with faded blonde hair that reached halfway down her back. While the previous set of pictures depicted scenes that, had they not been taken place in Mike and Julie's house, might be mistaken for innocent snapshots of the happy domestic life of a young married couple, the second set of photos had an air of menace about it. In a picture taken in the living room, the couple seemed at first glance to be embracing. On closer inspection, however, something about the twisted posture of the woman and the tense, veiny grip of the man's arm suggested, respectively, resistance and restraint. The second photograph, taken from just behind the man, showed the woman leaning over almost into the kitchen sink, her hair pulled back from her face, which was turned away from the camera. The man watched from the doorway, hands on his hips, in the third picture, the husband lay face down in Mike and Julie's unmade bed. 
the sheets tangled and askew, while the woman knelt on the floor a few feet away, her face held in her hands. The police were even less helpful this second time. They suggested that Mike and Julie install alarms in their house or move. They said the relatively small magnitude of the crime didn't merit the kind of constant police surveillance it would require to find the perpetrators. As they were leaving, one of the officers pulled Mike aside. The officer said that if this was a prank, it had gone far enough and that Mike should stop trying to frighten his wife. Mike said he had nothing to do with any of it. The officer said that was fine, but if he did, it needed to stop. At this point in his telling, Mike paused. So that was the end of it, I asked? No, said Mike. No. It was just one picture the third time in an envelope pinned to the sleeve of Mike's coat when he took it down from the rack in the corner to run to the store to pick up a head of lettuce for a salad that Julie was making. This was just a few weeks after the second set of pictures had turned up. Mike unpinned the envelope from the sleeve of his coat and handed the photo to Julie in the kitchen. She set down the knife with the bits of sliced radish clinging to it and held the picture with both hands. In this photo, the man and the woman were posed in precisely the same positions that Julie and Mike had been in only moments before. The woman with the faded blonde hair stood at the kitchen counter chopping radishes while the wiry, pale-skinned man rummaged through the fridge for a head of lettuce that wasn't there. Mike told me they moved out after that sold the house at a big loss and we're currently renting a tiny apartment across town. Mike and I used to be pretty close, but I wasn't sure what to say to him, how to react to all that, so I wished him good luck and said we should get together for dinner sometime. Like I said, this was about a month ago when he told me all this. I've since heard that Mike and Julie are splitting up. Apparently, she's already moved back in with her parents on the other side of the country and is filing for a divorce. Mike is living by himself in their little apartment and not talking to anybody. Not that I blame him. There are rumors floating around that Mike sent Julie to the hospital a couple of weeks ago with a broken nose and three cracked ribs. That this wasn't the first time. That maybe this kind of thing went on during their entire marriage. I've tried calling him several times, I've even stopped by his apartment once or twice, but he's never home. And he doesn't return my calls. An Intrusion by Tim Workus. A great story. What a great spooky Halloween story. I hope you have your Halloween plans prepared and you're ready to go have a great halloween and if i can if i can make one small recommendation if you're looking to get freaked out read stephen king's 1408 it's a short story that i tried to finish uh, about eight or nine years ago and i couldn't it freaked me out too much i had to turn on the lights on in the house so i got it recently and i tried to reread it and i was like ah that was years ago i'm, I'm I'm tougher and stronger now. Nope. 
still couldn't finish it. So go to your local bookstore and pick up Stephen King's 1408. It's in a collection of short stories that I'm forgetting what the name is, but uh, Google 1408 Stephen King and try to read it, but only read it at night. Only read it when the lights are out and you're in your house and it's evening. It's so great. Uh, Thanks so much for listening to this little extra special Halloween episode of Reading Aloud. We'll be back next week with a great interview I did with Dan O'Brien, who's a playwright and a poet. And I'm so excited to do the book club after that. Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House, another great Halloween read. So get into the Halloween spirit. Get your brain going. Do some reading. And we'll see you very soon. My name is Nate Cordry. Happy Halloween! This has been a Wolf Pop production. Executive produced by Paul Shear, Adam Sachs, Chris Bannon, and Matt Gorley. For more information and content, visit wolfpop.com.